Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Uh, one of the parables that Jesus gave concerning the Pharisee and the publican. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let's unite together for just a moment of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for a time of coming together where here in your house we can lift up your name in praise, where we as your children can thank you for that which you have done for us throughout our lives with the material things that we enjoy, but most especially for the spiritual life that you have given us, knowing that we shall now live for eternity because you died for us and we received your death to cover our sins. If there is anyone in this congregation this morning whose heart is not right, for whatever reason, who is not saved, or who has been wayward, who has sinned, who has fallen short in some area of life, that this might be a time of renewal. Lord, take the word that we have read and now use it to benefit our lives and speak to us in the area of our needs. For we pray in Christ's name. I've entitled the message this morning, Not as Other Men. And of course you can recognize that it comes out of that 11th verse that we read in the prayer of the Pharisee when he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men or other people to spread it out and uh, allow women to be a part of the prayer. 
Jesus used the process of storytelling all the way through his ministry to teach a, a lesson. We have one here, I believe, that is important to us. The story of two men who went to pray. They went to church. They come from different backgrounds. One is of the uh, position of a publican that we studied about this morning in our Sunday school lesson. Another man by the name of Zacchaeus. And here is one who, who is not named, but we have his position. And then we have one person who is of the church, who goes to church continually. And both of these people go to the church for the purpose of prayer from different backgrounds. And he gives this story as the verse 9 tells us that he spoke this parable to people who thought well of themselves, who trusted that they were righteous and everybody else was unrighteous. One of the things that has disturbed me a little bit uh, but I have not been used to that people in southern West Virginia do that people in northern West Virginia don't do. And it's been a problem for me to get used to. And that is, we say here, and I say we now, since I've become a southern West Virginian, we say, referring to those who are lost, we say they're sinners. And sometimes I wonder if we're saying they're sinners, meaning we're not sinners. Have we really calculated what we're saying when we call somebody a sinner? And that's exactly what the people in this morning's Sunday school lesson did concerning Zacchaeus when they said Jesus is going to go to his house and eat with him and he is a sinner as if they were not sinners. We're all sinners, and I'm sure we recognize that fact. There are two classes of sinners. There are saved sinners, and there are lost sinners. But we're all sinners. And sometimes I wonder if we have lost track of that fact, and maybe put ourselves into the category of this Pharisee, who began to see himself somewhat differently than the publican and didn't recognize that they were both cut out of the same piece of cloth, that they came from the same background. They're both sinners. And one of them, maybe, maybe the Pharisee was a saved sinner, we're not sure. Most likely the publican was a lost sinner, but nevertheless, they were both sinners. But Jesus spoke this parable to those who looked upon themselves as being righteous. A cut above those who are sinners. The Pharisee definitely thought of himself as being much better than the publican. The publican was a hated man. 
Nobody likes a tax collector, and I don't like them either. I eat lunch with a tax collector every once in a while, or a matter of fact, three of them who work for the IRS. And uh, we have gotten acquainted during lunchtime. And some of the stories they have told about how they're hated is, is somewhat, uh, I can understand it, but uh, nobody likes them. Just they are despised. I don't think too kindly of the tax collectors either when I've been with IRS people or the state tax people. We don't particularly care for those people for we look upon them as the bad guys. As you know, one of the jobs that I have uh, as a part of my secular job is to do inspections. I went in a restaurant Friday morning to make an inspection and the guy said, oh, and I said, I would love just one time to walk in here and you say, boy, am I glad to see you. I don't think he's ever going to do it. Uh, but that's the way the people of Jesus' day looked upon the tax collectors as a hated, despised lowlife that was to be shunned and certainly not to be associated with and fellowshiped with. The Living Bible translates the phrase, trusted in themselves that they were righteous, to say they boasted of their virtue. I don't know if you have heard the phrase, but uh, I've heard it all my life I would, uh, concerning some people. When um, my uncle used to say this a lot about certain individuals, he'd say, I sure would like to buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. Most of us have an elevated value placed upon ourselves that puts us somewhere up the ladder, perhaps further than we ought to be. Jesus said, if you're going to go to a banquet, don't go to the head table. And Bob talked about this this morning a little bit, as to who gets up at the head table. Go down low, and if you are deserving, somebody will come and take you up and put you at the head table. But I have seen, and probably even have been guilty at times, a feeling that I ought to be further up the line than I am. I ought to have more respect. I feel like Rodney Dangerfield, and I don't get no respect. Do you ever feel that way? We ought to not expect to get respect. It ought to come from people who see us and want to, to elevate us to, to a higher position. But the Pharisee was one who said, I demand your respect. And he wanted that publican to look up at him. See, my, what a marvelous man you are. And so they both go to prayer. The, the, the Pharisee um, sort of stands there and casts his eyes around to see who all is in the crowd. Of course, nobody ever does that in church, do we? 
Look who's over there. Well, would you believe who came to church this morning? Wonder what she's doing there. Wonder why he came. It must be election time. Well, may I use you as an illustration? You know, he used to be a politician. One of the things I respected, you know, there was a long time that he would not become a member of this church. And do you know why? It was because it was getting close to election time and he was running for election and he did not want to have the slightest hint of any inference whatever that his becoming a part of this church was to be used for political purposes. I hope you don't mind me saying that. Because that is an important attitude to take. When that was all over, then they became members of our church. I can remember people in my past who came to church. One guy I always remember always came to church two or three weeks before election. And we never saw him anymore. Sometimes we come to church to be seen and to be heard. And sometimes the rest of us stand aside and say, my, look at him, look at her, wonder what they're doing here. And this Pharisee began to look around to see who all was in attendance. And he got the idea that God liked him a whole lot better than God liked the publican. Sometimes we feel like we have to earn God's love. And we earn God's love by our appearance. And God's going to love me a whole lot more than he loves the, that tax collector because I'm a pretty good guy. I've always gone to church all my life the Pharisee would say. This public, this first day I've ever seen him here, what what he's doing here. You know, mom likes me better than she likes you because I sit up straight at the table and I eat all my peas on my plate. I get all A's on my report card. Mom loves me. And it takes us a while to learn that mom does not sort out her love and love the guy who sits up straight and eats all his peas and gets A's any more than she loves that ordinary, no-count scoundrel that's always in trouble in her family. Do you think that the mother of Ted Bundy loved him any less than she loved her other children? You not remember, don't remember Ted Bundy was the one who was executed in Florida just a few days ago for all of the murders and, uh, that, that he had committed. I think 20-some people he had killed. That mother's love would have been just as great for that boy as it was for one who had been the perfect, upright, fine individual in her family. And any mother who does not love the ornery scoundrel like she loves the best child in the family has not captured the type of love that God has for his children. 
For God loved the world so much that he was willing to give his son for who? The Pharisees? Yes, but also for the publicans. For the good and for the bad and for all that are in between. But the disciples had gotten to the point that since Jesus had selected them and they were part of his little group, that he must love them a whole lot more than the other people because that was the people, I think, to whom Jesus was speaking this parable, to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, who thought that they were a little more than the others. Two men went to church. The Pharisee was the church crowd. The publican was definitely a lost sinner. And the Pharisee began to pray. Now, let me give you a little interpretation that you might want to put there in your Bible. In verse 11. If you like to make notes, do it here. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. What that literally means is the Pharisee began to mutter under his breath and say, God, I sure am glad I'm not like all these other people in here. And then he began to look over there and there was an extortioner. So he named him. Of all things to be thankful for is to thank God that I'm better than anybody else. What a tragic statement to make, but that's what this man made. I'm better than I thank you. I'm not like that guy sitting over there. He's an extortioner. That guy gets things out of people by giving them physical threats, and he's going to beat it out of them if they don't pay up. Boy, I'm not like that. I sure thank you I'm not. Well, maybe this Pharisee did not beat people up and take things away from them by force, but it's very likely that he had a covetous mind and he has thought many times, boy, I sure would like to have what that guy's got. He looked over there and there was an unjust person. A guy who cheated. Maybe somebody who did some stealing. He said, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like that. But that same guy who might not take, this Pharisee who might not take from somebody else, wasn't very generous when the offering plate was passed and thought, I think I better keep my money to myself because I'm going to need it this week. Then he looked over there and he saw another person and there was a person that he knew by reputation that he was an adulterer. He had committed sexual sin all the way down the line. He thought, boy, I thank you, Lord, I've never done that. But he didn't remember that the scripture also says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
we have a tendency to overlook the thoughts of our heart as being sin. It's only if we commit a physical act that we possibly have sinned, we seem to think. Listen, the sins of our mind are just as bad in God's eyes as the sin of our body. Those people who have never committed a physical act of cheating or stealing or adultery or all the other things never have sworn but have muttered under their breath or have thought things are just as guilty as those who have committed the physical act. The difference is we can hide our thoughts pretty well. It's difficult at times to hide our actual physical actions. But he didn't stop with the extortioners and the unjust and those who committed adultery. He looked over there and he saw that tax collector and he said, Boy, I thank you. I'm not as low as that tax collector. That miserable creature, what's he doing here? He presumes something that we all have a tendency to presume, and that is that we can read the heart of all the people sitting around us and we know why they're here. And they're sure not here for the right reason. I know that. How come we're so smart? Did we take a lesson in mind reading? Has God given us suddenly the power to look into the heart of the people around us and think, I know them, why they're here, and what they're going to do? I think God has not given me, and I suspect he has not given you, the power to look into the heart of any person and know their reasons for what they do or where they are. The old Indian saying that I can't quite quote anymore, I've forgotten it, but uh, you shouldn't judge a person until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. Until, what does that mean? It means until you have full comprehension of that person's whys and wherefores should we begin to say anything about them as to why they're in church or why they're not in church as far as that's concerned. Until we know his motives. Why is he singing in the choir or she? Why is he or she praying aloud in the church service? Why is she or he here at all? So this Pharisee can sit there in church and begin to point his mental fingers in all directions and find fault with every person sitting in the pew, sitting in the choir, and standing behind the pulpit, and we point out all of these things. You know, one of the problems of a little community, a church in a little community, is the problem we have here. Everybody knows everybody else's business. Right? And that's bad. Unless we have the same spirit in us that was in Jesus Christ that will take people for what they are and make them a part of our fellowship until we will go to home with that publican sinner like Jesus did and sit in his house and fellowship with him. But most of us are not too inclined to 
through that. They did that and have the audacity to come to church and sit down by me? Where do they get that right? They have the right to come in off the street, never been in this church for years, and come in and sit down in the pew? Or they did a sin, I know about it, I heard about it, so-and-so told me what they did, and I know it's right. They came to church. Why doesn't it enter our mind that maybe this publican has come to church to get right with God? Oh, I never thought about that. Maybe this person is seeking help. And is it not our responsibility as the saved sinners of this world to reach out to help those who are begging for help? Is it not that ugly duckling that we're supposed to take into our arms and love into the kingdom of God? Is it not that miserable sinner who has committed sins that we wouldn't even consider doing? That ought to be loved the same way that Jesus loved us. Where does one sin become so far superior to another sin that God's not going to love that person over there? He's sure going to love me because I haven't done those things. You see, it doesn't fit into God's personality to love one over another. To exclude the despised of this world, and to accept the righteous. For God loves his children alike, whether they're the worst sinners of this world or whether they're the most honest, upright, righteous person that this world can produce. Ted Bundy was saved before he was executed. God loved that man as much as he loved the most righteous individual in this community. Well, God, I want to remind you that I go to church every Sunday. I pay tithes of everything. I put money in that offering plate. You remember how much I put in? That ought to count for a whole lot. But the publican, he was over in the corner all by himself. He wasn't satisfied in his own heart with himself. And all he did was express grief. And he beat upon his chest with his fist, a sign of grief. And he didn't look around him and say, Ooh, there's that Pharisee. My, he's a mighty righteous person. I wish I were like him. No, he didn't look at other people. He simply was considering himself. He didn't point out those who may be worse than him either. 
He didn't say, well, God, I may be a sinner, but I'm not as bad a sinner as that person sitting there. Well, that person's done a whole lot worse than me. No, none of those thoughts. He simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. I wonder, in your life and in my life, when is the last time we beat upon our breast? When we shed tears of remorse and cried out to God to forgive us of our sin that we have committed this time, this day, this week. What's our purpose in coming to church? To stand around and look sideways and zip. I know what that person's here for. I know what that person's here for. Yeah, I know why they came. I know this. I know that. Well, I'm sure glad I'm not like they are. Why, if they're going to heaven, I sure am going to heaven. You know, a lot of lost people use that phrase, and they say, well, if so-and-so up there in the church is going to heaven, I am too. And the response you ought to make is, well, that person up there in the church may not be going to heaven. You better not be following them anywhere. Just because we're in church doesn't mean we're going to heaven. Just because we're a member of this church or other churches doesn't mean we're going to heaven. The Pharisee did nothing but cite all of his virtues. The publican did nothing but cite all of his sins. And the scripture says that this latter man, the publican, went down to his house justified. In other words, forgiven, made righteous. When the righteous person went down to his house, condemned is what it, what it amounts to. The last phrase of verse 14 is a very important verse. The scripture says, Everyone that exalteth himself shall be brought low. That's what the word abased means. Everyone that exalts himself will be brought down. What does it say? And everyone that humbleth himself shall be exalted. God will exalt those that deserve it. God will honor those who deserve honor. So why are we in church? I hope that nobody in this congregation would ever say to God, God, I sure do thank you that I'm not like some of those people I go to church with. but rather be like the publican. Paying no attention to those about him, but praying earnestly and sincerely to God that God would hear his prayer and forgive his sin. We continually invite people to come forward in service. I want to tell you all, we don't invite those people to come forward that we might be able to take a look at them and look them over and try to figure out in our minds, what are they walking down the aisle for? 
We invite people to come forward as a demonstration that they have spiritually smote upon their breast and said, God, forgive me of my sins. And are willing to take a stand in public and say that I've done that. Are you a sinner this morning? If anybody says no, I have to say that's not what the scripture says you are. We're all sinners. But there are some lost sinners in this congregation. And there are some saved sinners here. But we're all sinners. And we need to, all of us, beg God's forgiveness of our sins. If you're a lost sinner, we encourage you to ask God to forgive your sins and to save your soul. If you're a saved sinner, we, ask, we ought to be asking God to forgive us our sins. Set us right. Sins of commission as well as sins of omission. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.